Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 24th, 2009. And we're going to be starting a series on... Uh, this first part is going to be on the Hebrew Roots Movement. And, the, you know, you can... To a certain extent, you can lump some of these other organizations like Christian Zionism... Messianic Jews, Jews for Jesus, these types of things. To a certain extent, you can lump those in with this conversation. Uh, some are a lot worse than others, okay, regarding this subject that we're going to be talking about. This book booklet that I'm quoting from, one of the sources is going to be it's called the it's called the Jewish Disaster. Um, but I don't really want to call it that. I want to call it the mess the Hebrew Roots Movement Disaster. And uh, this brings up some very insightful biblical points regarding this subject. Uh, this website is uh, www.despatch.com.au. So... If you just do a keyword study, probably for the Jewish disaster, you'll probably find this booklet online. Uh, now, I'm going to go further into some things, and I'm going to be quoting a little bit, uh, some of the scriptures that I'm quoting are a little bit different than the, one, than the ones they have. Um, so I'm going to be going to be presenting a little bit different uh, side than exactly what they're presenting here. But in essence, it's the same core principles that we're going to be looking at. This... Booklet starts out by saying he had been a fine, very fine Christian for five years. Soundly born again, Barry had attended church every time the doors were open. He witnessed, prayed, studied his Bible, and every way glorified Christ Jesus. This has been altered dramatically in the last two years, though. Barry has embraced the Hebrew Roots movement, and his life has never been the same again. Barry now spends a lot of his following time doing the following things. Number one, endlessly delving into the Hebrew language books. Uh, also, spending hours a day rewriting the King James Bible text. Now, I just want to say, I've, I haven't really got into this particular... I, I w wasn't really pulled into this, but um, I've seen a lot of this rear its head, particularly in the Pentecostal circles that I used to run with. And... This is exactly what does happen. I've had I have patients that are, are into this that were born again Christians. They call themselves that, and now they're totally into this. So much so that you know the one lady calls herself a rabbi, and and her husband a rabbi, and you know they've got all the the Jewish stuff going on. Another thing that he does, he knows now he knows the Midrash and the Mishnah writings, and venerates them as he once did the King James Bible. So, when you get into this movement, one of the things that always ends up happening, the further that you're into it, is you start viewing things like other extra-biblical books, extra-biblical uh, Jewish books like the Midrash or the Mishnah, then you actually can get actually into the Talmud, and some of them will actually go so far as to actually get into the Kabbalah. They'll actually get into this stuff. Now, the Talmud is incredibly blasphemous, particularly toward Jesus Christ, I've, I've done a whole study on the Talmud. You can just put Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, in the keyword search box on my homepage at Sermon Audio. And uh, you can find that. And if, you, if you're on one of my teachings, or, or one of my, uh, if you're on like a page where 
you're on one of my teachings and you don't, you don't know how to get back to my homepage, just click, I think my name's there. You can click on my name and that'll take you to my homepage because there's a little keyword search box on the right-hand side. Another thing that he does, he no longer believes he can understand the Bible by simply reading the Bible verses in English. And I'm telling you, this so rings true to me because everyone I've ever seen involved with this, this ends up, this ends up happening to them. It does not increase their faith in the King James Bible or the Word of God. It decreases it. They start to question it. And then they start to have all these other interpretations. Sometimes they get to the point where they pretty much throw out the New Testament. And they just go back and live in the Old. Or they're just living in the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. Um, another thing. He is no longer sure of the Gospel verses like John 3.16. Well, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? This goes on to say, he has done much study into John 3.16 and now feels really confused about it, although he does not admit to this confusion. This has affected his witness to others, but since beginning with the Hebrew roots indoctrination, he is not keen about being a personal evangelist anymore. He has deeper things to accomplish. Quote, deeper things. Barry talks about all the time now, about Israel. That's all he talks about, Israel. Once he spoke continually about Jesus Christ and wanted to grow in him. Today he's planning his next trip to Israel. He has visited the land twice. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong going to Israel, but if you're doing it so that you can convert into the Jewish religion, then there's a huge problem. This goes on to say he honors... Uh, the Jews more than Jesus Christ. His church did not see things in the same light as he. So Barry has left the sound Bible church he went to to go with the Hebrew Roots Movement group. Now Barry prays in more of a formal way with a Jewish prayer shawl over his head. Now I, I, again, I've got a lot of personal experience with all this. Not only is this one of the main things I deal with when people are emailing me, and this goes deep. This doesn't just talk about the Hebrew Roots movement. This talks about the way that we address Jesus Christ. There's this thing called the Tetragrammaton. We're going to get into that. We're not going to get into that really today. But we're going to get into all that. And I see it seeping in to a lot of modern day Christianity. And I'm going to try to present the dangers that I see regarding this. I probably have more trouble from this subject regarding other people than any other subject. I have more debates than any other one. The Sabbath versus Sunday. I've done a whole teaching on that. And please, if you access that, read the PDF first. Just look at the Bible verses. Now, if you've already thrown out the New Testament, then we don't even need to we don't need to debate about anything. In fact, I don't really want to debate anybody at this point. I just don't have the time anymore. I'm being. I'm trying to answer all of these emails that are coming in, and I just do not have time anymore to engage in long debates. This is why I've done these teachings. And I will not be moved off the Sunday versus Sabbath, because I have looked at it, and I believe it, scripturally speaking, uh, it's very clear. Very clear. And I give you a boatload of verses. I've never seen anybody be able to refute them. And it's not me. It's not me giving the verses. It's the Word of God. There's no way to explain away these verses. okay? But anyway, I've done a two or three part teaching on that, plus the PDF file that you can click on in the respective sermon or teaching. 
So he prays now with a Jewish prayer shawl over his head. I had a guy that actually ended up working with my dad. I actually got him the job at my dad's factory. I mentioned in the last teaching, he developed a portable evaporative cooling fan. I think his name was Brian. And he went to the charismatic church I went to. Well, at some point he got all off into this Jewish Hebrew roots thing. Supposedly he did this lineage thing and he realized he had some Jewish blood running through his veins. And that's where it starts with a lot of people. They think, they perceive, it's like they, they so want to have this Jewish connection. And really a lot of it stems from pride. Well, I'm obligated to do this now. And he had all those little things you put over your door and he had the Jewish prayer shawl. He wore a yarmulke to work, which is the little skull cap that they wear. He was just, you know, started growing the facial hair. Just is, is, you know, one month he's acting one way and the next month he is acting like he is Mr. Super Jewish Guy. And then it goes on to say about this particular man, he says he's growing his beard and his hair in a rabbinic style. And now he has new feast days in his life now, the Feast of Judaism. His house once had a Bible on the table, but now he has the Jewish six-pointed hexagram, star, and many objects that picture Israel on the walls and a Jewish feast day. Now I've done a whole teaching on the hexagram, which is this Jewish star. And there's nothing holy about it. It is the most wicked sign in witchcraft. It is the most one of the most powerful signs that you can use to actually invoke a demon from another plane. And it didn't get on the flag because it's been a Jewish symbol. Symbol of the Kabbalah, the highest form of Jewish mysticism, witchcraft. But the Rothschilds were the ones that were instrumental in getting it on the flag, the top Illuminati family in the world, who are Jewish, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. The Bible says that they call themselves Jews, but they're actually of the synagogue of Satan. That's how I would put somebody like the the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers. There's a difference, okay? So again, I'm not coming down on the whole Jewish race here, like a lot of people do. I think we just need to have biblical balance in regard to this subject. And I know that this subject, there's going to be a lot of people that want to get off my email list, and that's fine. That really is. I'm not offended. Okay, so just put unsubscribe in, in the email and, and I'll take you off and, you know, because I'm not going to sit here and debate. Uh, this is my debate. And this has been many years in the making. This is a study that I've needed to do for a long, long time. And all I've ever got is confirmation. You will not sway me the other way. I've lived there. I've been in, I've been around it. I have, I have witnessed this very scenario I'm presenting to you right up front. I have never seen it yield good fruit. I have only seen it take people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They get wrapped up in the law, in bondage, which Christ came to free us from. And they start to think they're better than everyone else. Whether they want to admit it or not, it's irrelevant to me if they want to admit it, because they do. They're special. Just like the Pentecostal who, who says, well, I speak in tongues and I prophesy and I do this and I do that. Well, I hope you're getting all your prophecies right 100% of the time because according to Deuteronomy 18, you better be nailing all of them or you're a false prophet. You're supposed to be getting them right every time. And I hope in your prayer language and your tongue language you're not cursing Jesus Christ because a lot of people, that's what ends up happening. 
They get around somebody that actually understands the language, and it's been ha- reported on many occasions where they would turn to them and say, why are you cursing Jesus Christ in my language? And, and this is the whole thing that Satan loves. He loves the denominations. Because the denominational label wells pride up in people. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Charismatic. And they've all got their own little niches as to why they think they're better and more superior than someone else. All I call myself is a hell-deserving, but Bible-believing, born-again Christian. That's it. I deserve death and hell. That's what I deserve, Scott Johnson. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for His mercy and for the blood He shed on Calvary and for His finished work on the cross that saved my soul and paid my sin debt. But I don't cling to any denominational label. I won't do it. I don't see any Bible for it. I don't see any Bible for denominations. None. No, I mean, you know, none. So, anyway, I just think it's one more thing to divide us. 501c3 church issue, then you have all your false Bible versions, then you have all the worldliness that's in the churches now. You got your denominations. Satan, Satan has so divided the body of Christ. He's, he's done such a, a brilliant job. And the Bible predicted it was going to be this way. That in the end time, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that the Lord himself is going to be the one that sends the strong delusion. They will believe a lie that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. That if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The Bible warns in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's what this whole ministry is about. Exposing the devices of Satan so that we're not ignorant of them. And that so Hosea 4.6 doesn't come into play where we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the Bible gives a stern warning about rejecting knowledge, true knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, it says in Hosea 4.6, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be a priest to me no more. And I will also reject thy children. So that when we reject knowledge, we need to check these things out. We need to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to study these things out. We need to be like good Bereans, as it talked about in Acts, and they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they sought the scriptures out to see if these things be so. We need to seek these things out and find the truth. Don't follow any particular man. I'm not telling you to follow me. Man will fail you. You follow the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do I? No, I don't believe I'm leading anyone astray either, but I'm not telling anyone to ever follow me. I'm not your God. The Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. That's the problem. We got so many people out there putting their trust in a ministry or in a man. And they're not searching the things out in the Bible to see if they'd be so. And they got the wrong Bible to begin with. They got some perversion. And if you, if you doubt that, just key in KJV in the search box on my homepage and we'll load your boat on why the King James Bible is... the word of God for today in the English language. Okay, I want to phrase it that way because I don't want to say that we've never had Bibles that were valid. 
You know what I mean? It's only the Bible that ever... You know what I mean? I'm not going to say that the original autographs that were penned through the apostles, that those weren't valid. Okay? But I'm saying for the modern-day English language... And this is why Dr. Waite's ministry is called the Bible for Today. And it's, it's a ministry that, that keys in on the King James Bible and defends it. So, um, a lot of people want to group me in with Ruckman. And I'm not a Ruckmanite. Those are, they call them the King James only crowd. Okay, where they don't even believe in the validity of the Greek scriptures or the Hebrew scriptures that underlie the text of the King James Bible. I don't go there. I don't believe that. But they, they're believing that the King James Bible, some of the King James only people, is, um, uh, you know, you can get into that debate where they don't, add, they don't put any validity on the um, underlying Greek and Hebrew text. So again, you can get off. You can get off um, off track on that as well. And again, it's important to have biblical balance in whatever you're you're trying to do. So going further, and again, I've done a whole study in the hexagram. Uh, Barry is very keen about the so-called. Now, some of the things he's very concerned about is the so-called Bible codes of Michael Droz, Drozden. Now, that was one of the many Bible code books that's been written. That was one of the first. And it was also one of the ones that I know has been pretty much soundly debunked. I'm very leery getting into this Bible code stuff. I just am. The Bible talks about the prophecies of God are of no private interpretation. And there's a lot of people out there that have their own little Bible code system, and they're supposedly the only one on the planet God's shown this stuff to. Tell you... I just got a rough time with that. I get emails all the time where I get people will say something like, God has shown me this, and it's something that I have never even heard of in the Bible, and that I would have never, ever, ever drawn that conclusion. And so you're to tell me that you're so special in God's eyes that he is the only one on the planet he sh- you're the one that he's shown this to. He's chosen you out special. When the Bible says that the prophecies of God are of no private interpretation. I got a rough time with that. And most of the time when I look into these things, and in fact, every time, I usually get into it and I'm thinking, whoa, this is way unbiblical because of this, this, and this. But there's no way that you can debate, particularly with the amount of emails I'm getting now. There's just no way that I have time to debate everyone. But they're dogmatic. I better read this. Or, you know, it's almost like a heaven or hell issue a lot of the times. So it's where they bring it to. It's, it's amazing. And I believe a lot of it stems from pride. I believe most of it does. Look at what God's shown me. He's shown nobody else but me. Wow, aren't you special? Hmm. Sounds like you might need a little humility. Fear God. You know? Anyway. Barry's very keen about the so-called Bible codes of Michael Drosnan. He sees these as a profound and scholarly way of understanding the depths of Scripture. Barry does not eat bacon or pork anymore, referring to these meats as abominable swine's flesh. Now, again, I've done a study on the Levitical dietary guidelines, and there is wisdom in the Levitical dietary guidelines, but we are not under the law anymore where we have to... One thing I will say is I would never eat anything with blood in it, because that is a... Even the Bible says in the New and the Old that that is a perpetual thing that we should not do. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood 
And blood is not something we... And again, that has a lot to do with how do you prepare your meats. Um, one of the best ways, the best ways to prepare meats is either broiling or grilling. If you're gonna, if you're gonna fry it in a pan, make sure you put, um, uh, also putting vinegar, particularly or- organic apple cider vinegar is the best, and salt in the meat prior to cooking it, and that will a lot of times, what that'll do is purge a lot of impurities and blood out of the meat. The salt and the vinegar will do that, and it really helps the taste too. It's great. It tastes wonderful. Um, flame broiling or broiling is a good way to do that. But if you have to fry it, just make sure you drain the, the juices off at some point after you've let it simmer in the vinegar and the salt. Um, and trust me, it's not going to detract from the taste any. It's good. So anyway, little cooking lesson for you there. Cooking by Scott. Oh, sorry. Anyway. Um, should have probably worn apron for that little portion of uh, anyway, if you want to see about the, the wisdom of the Levitical dietary guidelines, and again, just have biblical balance. Let's look, okay, is there no validity to these Levitical dietary guidelines? Is there no validity to eating things that God would term unclean and clean? Can we eat them? Yes, as a Christian, sure we can. I mean, we're under a different covenant now than we were in Old Testament Levitical law. And we're going to be looking at that in depth, really, today. But there's still wisdom in those guidelines. Okay, So, um, what happened to this fictitious young man has happened to many Christians in our day. So this was a fictitious young man. But I'm telling you right now, I've seen this exact thing play out over and over and over again with people that I know. I can't stand to be around them. They're always trying to convert you to their system or way of thinking. You know? It's it's because they're what they're doing is better. We're we're going back to the ways of of you know the real Jews, and, and we're doing this, and we're celebrating feast days, and we're more spiritual. It's pride. I, I'm I'm sorry to say, but it really is. Now, if you really were a Jew, and these types of things, I'm not saying that it's wrong to potentially celebrate a feast day or something like this. Because there is some Bible that you could use to support that position in the New Testament. And I'm probably not going to be getting into that today. But are we bound by law now? No, we're not. And see, this is where, you know, what do you, what do you feel as though your salvation hinges upon? Is it by keeping the works of the law? Because if you think that, that is a damnable heresy. That is another gospel. That is not what the Bible says. So it's just a very, I view this subject as a very dangerous thing. Because there's so many people that get into this, and they're earning their way to heaven. They're just like another Catholic. They're keeping their feast days, they're keeping their Sabbath, they're doing this, they're doing that, and they're working their way, whether they want to admit it or not. And they'll deny it. Sorry about that, my microphone came off. They'll deny it. They'll say, oh, no, I'm not. I trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood alone. And yet they'll turn around and do all this other stuff. Now their actions, to me, are speaking louder than their words. Isn't that the expression? It's true. Do they really believe what they're saying? We're going to look at this in depth. What has happened to this fictitious young man has happened to many Christians in our day. They have been Judaized. Some in part, many others wholly. 
not meaning the word holy, but as a whole. Some are just dabbling in this. Some are in part Judaized. Some are totally Judaized. We need to look deeply at this phenomenon without emotion or bias, without being afraid of our ignorance of questioning a of questioning the Jews in Israel. We, and again, this is not a slam on Israel or the Jews in any way, shape, or form. Okay, this expose. We need to examine carefully as well, by evidence and by truth, where the Jewish nation, Israel, is heading right now, early in the 21st century. It is imperative that we Christians keep up with the events prophesied in the Word of God and align these events with the happenings of our own day. We are seeing prophecy fulfilled. Yes, God has told us that the Israel will be the head nation of the entire world in the millennial reign, in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And um, Christ will be their Messiah. But the Bible also tells us that Israel will accept the Antichrist as their Messiah before Jesus Christ you know, comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulations, what they're talking about here. And that they will believe that the beast of Revelation to be their Messiah. This fact... Uh, this fact, Jesus Christ specifically warned his followers about in John 5.43, where he says, quote, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. Okay, this was Jesus talking to the Jews in general, not to his apostles, but to the, to the Jews in general, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. It's a prophecy of the Antichrist coming. Remember, he's going to confirm the covenant with them according to Daniel. And the whole world is going to be, be deceived through lying signs and wonders and miracles. That's what's going to happen. There is a movement that is gaining ground and becoming increasingly popular to merge Judaism with Christianity. Now, I did a study not too long ago on the Antichrist. And we, we went through a lot of different things about the Antichrist. And we related that, like, to is Obama the Antichrist? And then there was one part where we talked about Mount Hermon and uh, the tribe of Dan and these types of things. And we quoted, I believe, from some Alice Bailey writings. And in one of those writings, I found it very, very, very telling where they said one of the main ways that they are going to try to infiltrate Christianity in the next hundred year period is one of the main ways they're going to try to destroy Bible-believing Christians is by Judaizing Christianity. That was one of the main goals of the Luciferian Illuminati Satanists was to Judaize Christianity because they knew when you start adding works plus Christ, you have another gospel. That's what they were doing. And it was one of their main goals. And how many people have fallen for it? And are wrapped up. The Bible says in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So people who are once just believers of God's word are now adding Jewish books to their scriptures. And they are seeking rabbis to be their teachers. They are joining themselves to Hebrew teachers, venerating these men, seeing New Testament Christianity as somehow lower than the idolized Jews in Israel. This is so true. And, it, oh, it's got all the vestments and accoutrements of, of this religious thing. You go in and they've got, you know, they read from the Torah off real scrolls and they kiss them and they've got their 
prayer shawls and they got their beards and oh they look so holy and, and you know it reminds me of the, you know these these devil catholics that you see on TV and they've got all these long flowing garments and all they are, are white and sepulchers full of dead man's bones as Jesus termed them they look real nice and shiny on the outside but on the inside they're ravening wolves and they're dead and if the blind lead at the blind they're both going to fall into a ditch and corporately unfortunately the Jewish race has rejected Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying all of them, but the Bible is very clear that blindness, in part, has happened to the Jews until the fullness of the Gentile come in, which will most likely coincide with the start of the tribulation, when the fullness of the Gentile come in. This blindness is going to start, I believe, being slowly lifted off the Jews. It may not come until later in the tribulation, though. We're going to be looking at that when we go to Zechariah may not even come until later. But it, this refers to, you know, the time of Jacob's trouble in the tribulation. So, this su- is a subject that melds with a lot of the other teachings that I've done. I've touched on these things, but this is going to be more of an in-depth look at this. I just view this as very dangerous because really, anything that's, that could potentially take somebody to a devil's hell, you know, is very dangerous. And this is what we're talking about here. Literally eternal life and eternal death, if you follow this. So it's very important to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, these are the perilous times, beloved of God. Second uh, Timothy 3.1, know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. You know, an evil man and seducer shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It says that in... Uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3.13, that's 2 Timothy 3.1 I just read. These are the perilous times the Bible clearly predicts. The, the times of the greatest deception that the world will ever know. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? He's reiterated this in other parts of Scripture. Be ye not deceived regarding the end times. Deception is the one thing that we have to go out of our way not to be in the end times. But yet people pay no mind to it anymore. They don't think there's any possible way they could be deceived. What's pride? And it's laziness. Following some man, some ministry. I'm not saying it's the only two reasons, but it's probably two of the main ones. So our investigation of the Hebrew Roots disaster is not anti-biblical. It confirms and accepts the teachings of the Holy Scripture, the Bible. Will the reader do the same? We will be probing into the scholarship of Michael A. Hoffman II as he presents his findings in his book, Quote, Judaism's strange gods. Here, Hoffman comments that, quote, the challenge to Christianity, it should be understood, though the fact that it even needs to be stated is itself a sad commentary on our times, that the critical, that the critical study of the religion of Judaism and its strange gods, the Talmud, the Kabbalah, and the self-worship is not an attack on those people who call themselves or are regarded as Jewish today, so again, we're not attacking the Jews. The greatest, uh, the greatest critic of Phariseeism was Jesus Christ himself. Wasn't, he, wasn't Jesus Christ himself the ones that came at the Pharisees and the Sadducees the hardest? What did he call them? Serpents and vipers? You low-down, dirty snake? Essentially? That's what he called them. Well, that's not the... That's not the God of love that, that I think he... Well, it doesn't really matter what you think. 
The Word of God clearly states he called him that. Ye are of your father the devil, and of his works ye will do. That's what he said to him. White sepulchers full of dead man's bones? Yeah. He was the greatest critic of Phariseeism. His criticism was an act of liberation for those who had ears to hear. Scripture declares uh, in Matthew one twenty one, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Those that have ears to hear. The Christian church has not replaced Israel and the Jews in their prophetic end-time rules and capacity. Okay, so again, there's a lot of people out there that believe, uh, and this can get into British Israelism as well, which is another sect of this, where they believe that they've actually replaced the Jews totally in their capacity. And then there's another group with the preterists that believe everything that already happened happened in 70 AD. All these things about, the, you know, um, basically the book of Revelation and a lot of the things in Daniel. It's already happened. It happened in 70 AD. And then it goes on to say, but a proper balance should be taken. God will never cast away all of Israel. He has a plan for these people. The Bible has promised the land of Israel to the remnant of the Israelites that they will be living there right into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. In more than 1,400 places in the scriptures of God that reiterate these promises about the Holy Land. This will only happen when the remnant of Israelites convert to the acceptance and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I really like the way this was written because this is biblically correct and we're going to explain to you why this is biblically correct. Read about the destiny of all Jews who will come to the Christ as Lord and Savior in Genesis 15:18, Jeremiah 32:40, Genesis 13:14 and 15 and Genesis 17:8 and many more other scriptures. God has made a new covenant with Israel and Judah. Most Jews have refused it though. Now, we're going to segue now into this into this biblical study before I go any further. We're going to go to Hebrews 8 8 through 12. This is very interesting. And again, I'm just really touching the surface of this subject. I'm not, we could go further, but for time's sake, we're going to try to, you know, keep this as, as not brief as possible, but we want to definitely try to hit the high points here. Hebrews 8, 8 through 12. Actually, um, let's start at verse 6. Hebrews 8, 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much more he is the mediator of a better covenant. This is regarding Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, this is the law. Okay, this was the Old Testament Levitical law that was given through Moses. Now, I'm not denigrating the law. For without, if I had not known the law, I had not known sin. Okay, so this was our, this was a way that we can identify sin, um, like through the Ten Commandments and many other things that it talks about in, in the Old Testament Levitical law. There's a lot of different prohibitions morally. Then there's also ceremonial things that don't really apply to us at all, like growing our beard a certain way or not combining clothing, different types, you know, things like that. There's ceremonial and then there's morality. And the morality 
this is one of the main ways that the Lord pointed out different types of sin. Okay, so this isn't a denigration of law we're talking about here. But the Bible says here that Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. Not me, not Scott Johnson. That's what the Word of God says. Then it says in verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. The second was through Jesus Christ. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Jesus came from, you know, house of Judah. So, let's read a couple um, uh, excerpts here. The New Covenant Summary. The New Covenant is better than the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic meaning Moses. Not morally, but efficaciously. According to Hebrews 7.19 and Romans 8.3 and 4. It is established on better promises. Um, under the Mosaic Covenant, obedience sprang from fear, according to Hebrews 2.2. 12, 25 through 27. But under the new, from, a, um, from every believer, the complete oblivion, okay, under the new covenant, we have the complete oblivion of sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Okay? And it rests upon an accomplished redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. According to Matthew 26, verse 27 and 28, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, Hebrews 9 and 11, Hebrews 9.12, Hebrews 9.18-23. So, these are just some differences, okay, between the Old and the New Covenant here. Now, there's eight covenants in summary from a biblical standpoint. And I'm just going to just touch on these. I'm not going to go into these really in depth. But, there's the Edenic Covenant, meaning the, the covenant given in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1.26-28. Uh, and then there's the Adamic covenant, Genesis 3, 14 through 19, which conditions the life of the fallen man and gives promises and gives the promises of a redeemer. Then there's the Noahic covenant, meaning the covenant that was given through Noah. Okay, Genesis 9, 1, establishes the principle of human government. And then there's the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15, 18, which founds the nation of Israel and confirms with specific additions, the Adamic promises of redemption. Then there's the Mosaic Covenant, Exodus 25, or Exodus 19.25, uh, which basically, you know, it condemns men because all have sinned. And then there's the Palestinian Covenant of Deuteronomy 28.1 through 33, which secures the final restoration and conversion of Israel. There's the Davidic Covenant, which was the covenant given through David, 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17 establishes the perpetuality of the Davidic line, also which is in the line of Jesus Christ himself. Um, and then the actual Davidic kingdom over Israel and the whole earth to be fulfilled in and by Christ. And you can look at 2 Samuel 7, 8-17, through 17, Zechariah 12, 8, Luke 1, 31-33, Acts 15, 14-17. I'm not going to be getting into all those, but those are some verses that you can look at if you want to know more about that. And then there's the New Covenant. Okay, which rests upon the sacrifice of Christ and secures the eternal blessedness under the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, now where of all those that believe, where does it say this? Where does it get into this? Well, let's go to Galatians three ten. Galatians three ten. 
Now, again, if you think that we're supposed to be bound under the law, just all you would really need is the book of Galatians. Now, what a lot of people are doing now is, if they're really into the Hebrew Roots Movement and they get their Jerusalem Bible, they'll start just ignoring total books of the Scripture. Another big trend is that now what they'll start to do is, is not only the, like the, um, this uh, Jerusalem Bible from a corrupted text, underlying text, but what a lot of people do now is they demonize Paul and they call him Paul the Usurper. And there's a big movement among women that are particularly unsubmissive and not wanting to submit to what the scriptures say and they will start to demonize Paul. Sherry Shriners being one of them. There's several um, women that have their own ministries that don't want to be under biblical guidelines and admonishments that a lot of them Paul laid out in his writings. So what they do is they just throw the baby out of the bathwater and demonize Paul. Therefore, any of the books that Paul wrote are, are therefore null and void. Well, you've just started your own religion, if you believe that. And you've, you've got your own little cult, and uh, I just pray that you don't prosper in your wickedness. Because that's what a lot of... Now, I'm not so only women, but I'm saying there, there is a movement uh, with, with uh, I've seen and witnessed. Um, and not to say there's not men who say the same thing. So anyway, Galatians 3, 10-16... Okay. Okay, now actually, let's go to, let's go to, uh, no, I, I wanted to actually start verse 1 on this. Let's start at verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Okay. Paul talking to the Galatians here. Okay. Oh, foolish Galatians. Not a really great way to start out the chapter for the Galatians. But, who hath bewitched you? Bewitched. Remember that store, that show, Bewitched, on TV? That means, who has put a spell on you, essentially? And don't think witches and people that are involved in the occult don't try to put spells on Christians and things of this nature. Because they do. But who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, you knew the gospel. You knew the true gospel. And now somebody's come along and bewitched you. This only, what I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law? He's asking them, do you receive the Holy Spirit? That, that's capitalized in the King James Bible, that S is capitalized. So now do we receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is what seals us under the day of redemption? Which is what indwells us and, and, and comes into us when we get, when we get saved? So receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Make up your mind. Because this is the exact same question I posed to the Hebrew Roots people. Are you receiving the Spirit by the works of the law? By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The Bible says. Or by the hearing of faith. And remember, I always say it. Bulls, the, the Word of God, it is always boiled down to faith. Always. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you have a corrupt Bible, or if you're not even reading the word of God, how do you build faith? And then he goes on to say in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, are you now, now made perfect by the flesh? 
it's unfortunately, it's just in most people's nature that they just want to do something to earn their way. They, they want to do some work to believe that they have some part in their redemption. You know, in the sight of... Uh, God will not share His glory with anybody. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. No flesh shall glory in His presence. And if you had some hand in your salvation, if you think you do, you're not saved. You need to go hear my, my teaching I did on salvation where I laid out very clearly it is truly the good news. But just key in salvation on my keyword search box on my homepage. Going further... So, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Now, when he says that, he means by keeping the law. He's already stated that up front. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Verse 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the work of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What, why did Abraham please God? Because he believed God. He had faith. That's what it always, always, always boils down to in the Bible. Your faith in God. Now that was during a different... That was before the Mosaic Covenant was given. What it boiled down to in every one of these other covenants that I gave you that we talked about, was faith. Cain and Abel even. Abel brought a sacrifice that God told him to bring. He was faithful in what God asked him to do. Cain did not. He did something that he perceived God would like. Or that he thought in his own mind, he brought him what, vegetables and fruit? Abel brought him a blood sacrifice. Okay, so, what did that boil down to even back then? Faith and obedience, you know? Even Adam and Eve, you shall not eat of the true tree of the garden of, you know, the knowledge of the good and evil. You're not going to eat of that tree. Well, they were disobedient. So anyway, going back to this, even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, ye therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. If we're in the faith in Jesus Christ, if we are a blood-bought, born-again Christian, we are of the children of Abraham. Does that mean I think all of a sudden I'm Mr. Super Jew? No. Not at all. But it says right there, they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Verse 8, In the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that's all I was, I was a heathen. Before I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's all I was. But see, the scripture foreseen that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Way, way, way back in Abraham. Saying, in thee all nations shall be blessed. All nations. Not just the Jewish nation, but all nations. 
See, their rejection of Jesus Christ, when they said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas, let his blood be upon us and our children, and the Bible indicates this, that was the Gentiles' blessing. Doesn't mean we should glory in this, as the Bible says in Romans, don't don't boast against the natural branches, you wild olive branches that have been grafted in, don't boast against them. But it was because of their unbelief that we are blessed and we are actually considered the children of Abraham through faith. That's why he said, in Abraham shall all nations be blessed. Well, the gospel came through the Abrahamic line. If you think about it, the father of of the Jewish nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then the 12 tribes, Jesus comes up through the lineage. I've already done a whole whole teaching on the lineage of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, and, and that's why, but where did it start? It started at Abraham. Jesus ultimately ended up coming through that bloodline. So that's why it says here, in thee shall all nations be blessed. If you're, if you're not quite understanding that, that's what it means there. And that's said in Genesis 12.3, where he says that. Verse 9, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's not about your works, it's about your faith. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you're Mr. Mr. Hebrew Roots Movement guy or woman out there, and you think that you're being justified by the law, you are under a curse. It says it right here. For it is written, cursed is every one that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So you better be keeping that law real strict. Now I say that tongue in cheek because there ain't no way you can do it. There ain't no way. You think you're walking around in sinless perfection? That in and of itself is pride. The Bible says that the thought of foolishness is sin. (laughs) Well, I'm a really chief sinner. Because I think goofy thoughts. Sometimes. Not all the time. Does that mean I should glory in that? No. No, but I'm just saying, sin, I've heard sin is defined as just missing the mark. Okay? But these people are around there, oh, i got to keep the Sabbath, and all of a sudden, I hope you're not picking up a stick on Sabbath. Wasn't that like they stoned you to death or something if you did that? <laughs> I mean, how far do you take it? Well, some people, I don't take it quite as far as the other. Where do you define the, the limits and the parameters? Where do you biblically justify? How? Where are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in the law and the works that you keep? And the feast days? And the Sabbath? Because that's what I see personally. In all the outer accoutrements, wearing the prayer shawl and the yarmulke and doing all the other stuff. Verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. The Bible says it right here. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by, guess what? Faith. Faith. Look at Hebrews 11. Okay, where it starts out, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then it gets you through this laundry list of people who are honored because of their faith. Their faith. Verse 12, And the law, 
is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna live that law, you better live in it. It's not gonna get you anywhere but hell. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How much clearer can you get? He's redeemed us. He's bought us back. That's what the word redeem means. He's bought us back from the... He's paid that. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. The cross that he hung on is also sometimes considered the tree. They refer to it as the tree. Now, I've done a whole teaching on the cross. Because I do not believe it's biblical to go around wearing crosses around your neck and having cross symbols and these types of things. Because the cross is a symbol of a curse. It's the very implement that they use to crucify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I understand the Bible says, take up your cross. That is the burden that you have as a Christian. That, that is what whatever respective burden, or whatever respective ministry the Lord has put you in, but that is not the same as literally taking up and wearing crosses. And why is it, if it's such a holy thing, why are all the rock stars doing it? And why do the Catholics love to wear them around their neck with, and then they add, they add Jesus Christ on there? Because they want to keep Jesus Christ on that cross. And that's where this, this all started, this whole cross thing, is through the Catholics. And I prove it in that study that we did. Not me, but just documentation. So you got to be real careful about that. Just key and cross on my keyword search box on my homepage. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Hey, that's me. If you're, if you're a Gentile out there, well, that's the, that's the essence of it. The blessing of Abraham has come upon us through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, capital S, through faith. This is the good news, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this good news? This is good news. Man, I hate all this stuff that people get wrapped up in about, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And, and they, they make all these things conditional upon salvation. Now I understand, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be saved and then live like the devil. And if we're truly saved, God will chasten us. Because whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you, if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards, which is an illegitimate son. And we should exemplify things like the fruit of the Spirit after conversion. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Yes, these are things that should come through us as a result of the Holy Spirit living inside us. Not of works, lest any man should boast. These are the outward Showings of these things. These are things that should be made. And yes, I understand. Faith without works is dead. Yes, the Bible does say that. Okay, so I'm not going to argue with that. But just make sure you have your order right. I mean, if you say you have faith, and there's no evidence of that faith, faith without works is dead. Well, bless God, I'm saved. And, and you do nothing for God and have no desire and no conviction of sin. It's really funny. It almost seems like their conscience has been seared with a hot iron, like the Bible talks about in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the end times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's the day and time we're living in. These people have given heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, they've had their conscience seared with a hot iron. All the stuff that we're saying today doesn't bother them. 
Don't don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. This this verse just came to my mind. Proverbs twenty nine verse one. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So in other words, if you're often reproved, if you're often told the truth, you're reproved, you're, you're, you're corrected, if you harden your neck, if your conscience is being seared with a hot iron, the Bible says you will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You just don't have infinite amounts of chances to get saved. It's just not that way. The Bible talks about the Spirit of God will not always strive with man forever. You just don't have infinite amount of chances you're, not, you're just not going to have infinite amounts of chances to grieve the Holy Spirit that's trying to save your soul. So, it's just something to think about there. So, if we go further, uh, okay, so if we go further, I, I mean, isn't this fun? I, I think this is fun. I love this. Actually, I would rather just do Bible studies. I really would. Um, but, the problem is, is there's so many breaking current events. I'm only one person. I can only do so much. This gets me fired up. Current events don't get me fired up. So please don't think that, that I'm just wanting to emphasize. My ministry is of, of a watchman, okay, and a teacher. But this gets me fired up. This is awesome. Anyway, I, I can hardly talk. But, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit inside me that's getting excited. And by reading the Word of God, it's like you're, you're, you're building up the reborn Spirit inside you. And, and the Holy Spirit's happy. You're not grieving Him. <laughs> you know? Like so much of the stuff that we probably do is grievous to the Holy Spirit, even though we may not even perceive it as that. That's why the Bible says, to cleanse me of presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over me. That we grieve not the Holy Spirit. Because it's possible to do that as a Christian. So anyway, going further... Um, let me just read verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That is awesome. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the, the manner of men, though it be a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds, as of many, but as of one, into thy seed, which is Christ. So if we are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed. And the Bible says if you are Abraham's seed, you are heirs according to the promise. Does that mean that every Bible-believing Christian who's a Gentile has replaced all of the obvious things that were written to the Jews in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation? No, I don't believe that. It doesn't mean we've usurped all of that. Like a lot of people go so far as to say that. British Israelism. I believe a lot of the Dominionists believe this as well, okay? And again, I don't know every little tiny part of their doctrine and dogma, but I know in essence they, they pretty much do believe that. And again, what is that? That's pride. So, okay, so we let's go back um, to Hebrews 8, and then verse 9, let's start through with that. Uh, so, oh, hold on, let me see if I'm getting ahead of myself here. Okay, so we went to Galatians 3. Okay, and oh, before we do this, let's go to Hebrews 10. 
Not yet. Let me read here. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping around. Okay, Hebrews 8, verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, he's getting very specific here. The word of God is getting very specific. So, let me read verse 8 again because it'll flow better. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. When was that? That was when they they escaped the Pharaoh and Moses was leading them, right? That's the Mosaic covenant. This is the law that they're talking about. Why? Because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Okay? Saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now we're going to explain this more. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. Woo, that was a close lightning strike. Saying, know the Lord for for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This is the future for the remnant of the Jews that ultimately end up accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay, verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. So in other words, the new covenant has made the first covenant, the Levitical covenant, old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. That's how they refer to the old covenant under the Levitical law. That it, that it is decaying and waxeth old. Meaning waxing means to grow. It's growing old. And is ready to vanish away. Now, let's go back here. Because somebody would say, well yeah, but if this was the case... Why hasn't why aren't the Jews all walking around saved? Well, okay, let's let's look at that. Again, I've I reiterated this, but I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna go back to verse ten. Okay? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Now, I believe this has to do in part with where the Bible says that blindness in part is happened to the Jew. Until the fullness of the Gentile come in. They're blind. Why? They asked for the blindness. Now, I did a whole study on this where it talks about the afflictions of Israel. Uh, you can just key in Israel or the reason for Israel's afflictions. It's like that. Okay. Now, this is not an anti-Semite or anti-Jewish teaching at all. You know, I love the Jewish people. I do, I do pray that God would prosper Jerusalem and these types of things as the Bible talks about. And I know that the remnant will be saved and there will come a day when that happens, but they're going to have to go through a lot before that does happen. And we're going to talk about that again. I know I've done studies on this, but I need to touch on it because we've opened up that can of worms and I just can't not address it. So, we have blindness apart has happened to the Jews until the folks of the Gentile come in. Why did this happen? When they said, crucify Jesus Give us Barabbas. Let his blood be upon us and our children. They asked for the blood of Jesus Christ to be upon them, but not in a good way. This is why the Jews have suffered so much corporately as a nation since that time. The Jewish Holocaust. How they've been dispersed to all these different nations. This is why. Not to, I'm not saying that because I'm glorying that I think I'm better. It's just a fact. But there's going to come a day where they get their eyes open. And we're going to be looking at that. Let's go to Hebrews 10, 
9 through 18. Hebrews 10, 9 through 18. Uh, let's see here. I went a little too far. Okay. Then he, then said he, Lo, I will come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Now here we go again. Again. All you, I mean, all you would really need is the book of either Hebrews or Galatians or Romans to really get a grasp on this subject of are we under the law or are not we? Okay, so again, it says it again. He taketh away the first, the first covenant, that he may establish the second. Verse 10. By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not like the Catholics do every week, where they come in and they try to re-crucify Jesus Christ through the process of what they call transubstantiation, where they believe that the priest has the power to bring the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ down into the Catholic communion host, and into the wine. The literal body. I'm not talking about the figurative. The literal. It's not do this in remembrance of me thing like the Lord's Supper. It's they're believing they're literally re-crucifying him. And that's why when you go into a Catholic church, he's always on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not a baby in a manger either. But that's how they want to portray him. As weak. Makes them feel more, you know, special. Well, hey, they're earning their way to heaven by keeping the seven sacraments and doing all the other garbage that they're told to do. All the th- only thing they're doing is earning their way to hell. And you don't have to do anything to earn your way to hell. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. So, we, verse 10, but the which we will, we are sanctified. What does sanctified mean? To be made holy and set apart. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When he said it was finished, it was finished. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now this is under the Old Testament Levitical law. These priests were there offering sacrifices. But they can never really truly take away sins. Why? Because the people just keep sinning. They've got to keep redoing it. The blood of bulls and goats are is not to be compared with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which covers sins from beginning to end. Verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. This is Jesus Christ. He offered one sacrifice for sins. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and ever maketh intercession for the saints. That's what the Bible says. And we can become boldly before the throne of grace to make our supplications known as a result of that. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a born-again Christian. Verse 13. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. It says he's perfected them forever. Them that are sanctified. Them that are made holy and set apart. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write in them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. 
we receive the remission of sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beyond the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no more remission for sins. There's nothing we can do to pay our sin debt. But that's the problem with all other religions in the world. They all think that they're earning their way to either heaven or nirvana or paradise or whatever they want to call it. They're all earning their way there. They're all either paying their own sin debt or they're earning their way there. And all of those religions, there's only two religions in the world. There's all the works-based religions, which are essentially just about all religions other than true Bible-believing Christianity. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of Christian religions would fall under that category. You know? Well, I'm basically a good person. They're not putting their total faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. They're not doing that. They're still, they, oh, they got some there. They got some, maybe 50-50. I want to have myself covered on both ends. Well, that's another gospel. You're adding to the gospel. And that's going to get you to hell. You, you, you need to repent of that and listen to the teaching I did on that, on salvation. And in just verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See, we didn't have access to the Holy of Holies before. Uh-uh. But when Jesus cried, died, guess what? That that um, veil was rent from top to bottom, and I'm talking that thing was, what, five inches thick? Rent from top to bottom, and now the Holy Spirit dwells within us as born-again Christians. That's why we have access. Before, we did not have access into the Holy of Holies. The priest went in there like once a year, and it was if, if he had sin in his life, a lot of times he could be struck dead. They'd have to pull him out. Then it says in verse 20, By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Remember, it always boils down to faith. You have faith to believe what I'm telling you. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now the Bible talks about the washing of the water of the word. When you're reading the Bible, it's like you're, you're it's like you're being spiritually purified. Okay? And, and, and that's why it's so important. And again, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Good works follow faith and love. By this shall all men know you that you have love one toward another to the brethren. I don't really have a problem when I see a true born again Christian. I can't help but love them. I, I, I'm sorry. I just can't help it. It's not like I gotta force it. Oh, it's just, uh -huh. now I am, I'm kind of a loner. I admit it. That's true. I am. Okay, all of us are created differently. Um, but I don't have a problem having love for my brethren. If I, if I see them, if I'm at a meeting, or, or, or Nonetta's here, or my little girl, no problem whatsoever. You know, that love's there. It, it should be, and if it's not, pray for it. And I'm not saying just because I'm like that, maybe you're not as much like that, well then pray for it. We, we've all got different things that we deal with. We've all got different strengths and weaknesses. And the Bible says unto every man he has appointed a measure of what? Faith. Not everybody has the same amount of faith. Not everybody does. It says that every man he's appointed unto them a measure of faith. 
So, you know, that's how it is. And then that's where it says here, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more the more as ye see the day approaching. Now, again, this is a big problem in today's day and age because I got people emailing me all over the place saying, where do I go to church? What do I do? I don't know what to tell them. It's sad, but I don't really know what to tell them. Try to, you know, even where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So, you know, hey, that's pretty much a church. I'm not saying, you know, it's a deacon church and you got a pastor, but where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's just very few, most of them are 501c3 corporations and, and they're reading the wrong Bible and they got all kind of worldly stuff going on and they're all yoked up with the government and they got all their licenses and, you know, the respective state that they live in gave them their right to preach and the right to marry people. By the power invested in me in the state of Florida, I now pronounce thee man and wife. Should it be by the power invested in me by the Lord Jesus Christ, I now pronounce thee man and wife? There's a problem there. There's all this leaven. I said all that to say this. There's all this leaven in the church. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Go to 1 Corinthians 5 and read that to see how God deals with leaven in the church. It's pretty severe. I've done a whole study on this that's called Turning Such and One Over to Satan. Where it talks about that in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5. Just do a keyword search for uh, Satan or turning or whatever. And, and it's just not done in the churches, unfortunately. Hardly ever. So, okay, so we've done that. We've read that. And now, uh, let's go ahead. I'm going to end here and uh, go to the next part.